We start a series today called Jesus Is, and uh, we're looking at this angle of who Jesus is through a book that's in the Bible called Mark. I don't know if you maybe understand this, but the Bible is actually not a book. It's a compilation of a whole bunch of books that are put together, and four of those books right at the beginning of what's called the New Testament are actually, they're, they're called the Gospels, and the Gospels in this context actually means this. It means a a book in the Bible about the life, and this will be on the screen for you here. The gospel is a book that records the life and teachings of Jesus. A book that records the life and the teachings of Jesus. So literally, it's like four guys that had firsthand accounts of actually what it was like to walk and talk with Jesus, what it was like to be there for his miracles, for the healings that he did, for the, the incredible teachings that he did, and literally what it was like to to walk and to talk with him. And uh, as we look through this book of Mark, we can see a firsthand account of what it was like to walk and to talk with Jesus. Now, as we're studying the life of Jesus, I want to make sure that we kind of put on the right frame of mind, if you will. Because when you're, com- when you're approaching the Bible, it is you always want to approach the Bible not just to get information, but for transformation. So as we look at the life of Jesus, I want you to ask this question. I want you to to ask, how can the information about Jesus lead to the transformation in me? How can the information about Jesus lead to the transformation in me? How many of you know Jesus is our hero? He is the only perfect one. He is the one that we are trying to emulate. So the goal is not to only be enamored with Jesus. We want to do that. But then secondly, we want to make sure that we're actually trying to become like him. And so as we look at that, let's kind of study it with that hat. John Mark, who's actually, his full name is John Mark, was not actually one of the disciples, but he was very well connected uh, to the disciples. There are several occurrences we understand that uh, John Mark was actually super connected uh, with the rest of the disciples. And what I love the most about this particular book, this gospel, is that Mark is straight to the point. How many of you like conversations that are straight to the point? Raise your hands. If you're, how, many, how many of you are not small talk people? You're like, let's get to the point. Let's get right where we're going. That's Mark. Mark is actually right to the point. In fact, so much that he goes, let's skip over the first 30 years of the life of Jesus, and let's dive right into his public ministry. So when we look at Mark, he literally begins right with his public ministry. And we're going to read uh, from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is the first moment of Jesus' public ministry. Let's look at it together. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. I want to talk to you about how Jesus is the Son of God, and not only how he's the Son of God, but how he's all God and all man, all at the same time. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, help us to be transformed by your word. I'm so excited that we get to actually study the life of Jesus, our hero. Help us, Lord God, to not only be enamored, but to emulate. Lord God, to look at our lives through the lens of how can we become more and more like Jesus. I thank you that you can do that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, listen to this. A man is walking down a street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the man shouts up, 
hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down into the hole, and moves on. Then a priest comes along, and the man shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, it's me, the man calls out. Can you help? And then the friend jumps in the hole. The man says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. How many of you know when you are wrestling and struggling in your life, the thing that you need the most is not someone who just has a prescription for you or is able to say a prayer for you. The thing that you need the most is actually someone who understands and is willing to walk with you who understands the struggle, who understands the temptation, who understands what it's like to have have been there and then to help you walk out of that hole, whatever you're facing in your life. Sometimes in our view of God, we actually can can have this this way of viewing God where it feels like he's way off in the distance. He's he's off in the clouds somewhere. And uh, we wonder, is God really actively a part of our life? Is he, does he really care about the struggles that I have on a Monday or on a Tuesday? Is he, does he really understand the temptations that I'm walking through, the sin areas that I struggle with, the trials that I'm facing right now? We can kind of have this view of God as we're down here, he's up there, and you know, every once in a while he may come down and, and kind of rescue us from something, but then he kind of returns to his heavenly throne, and he doesn't really truly understand what we're going through. And what I want to present to you today over the next few minutes is that that is actually the opposite view of God that we can have. And the reason why we understand that God actually understands our struggles and our temptations and our our trials is because of Jesus. It's because of uh, the Son, Jesus Christ, who who will learn is actually fully God, but he's also actually fully human. And we, we wrestle with this. And Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Mark wants us to understand that, hey, this is not just another person. This is not just another human. He actually is God, and he's the son of God. In fact, look what he says right away. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So instantly we find out, okay, this is not just another guy. This actually is God, the Son of God. And so we, we see that. So you say, well, what does that mean, like the Son of God, that Jesus was actually the Son of God? Well, clearly what Mark's trying to tell us right away is that Jesus actually is fully deity. He actually is. He's, Mark is making an assertion here that he actually is God and that Jesus came not only as a human but also in human body he was fully God. And, if you just spend too long just thinking about that, your, your mind's going to start getting blown really quickly. But he's fully human, and he's, he's fully God. Colossians 1.15 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So in other words, God who's invisible sent one who was visible, Jesus, to represent God. He was God. He was a representative of God. He's the Son of God. Your mind's blown. Let's move on. John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3 and verse 12 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. In other words, He was with God in the beginning in the heavens. 
then he was with God there. He was God there. And then he comes and he actually dwells among us, according to John. And it also helps us understand in verse 12 that if we will understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that actually gives us the right to become children of God. Now, let me, let me just help you understand this here. We struggle as human beings with the concept of how do I become a child of God? How do I, how do I, how do I become a, a Christian? And how do I become a, one of those people, one of those people that call themselves Christians? And you may be here, you may be on that journey, it's, you know, wherever you land on that journey, and you're, you know, how do I really become a Christian? How do I know that I'm a Christian? Because knowing I'm a Christian and, and calling myself a Christian sometimes can be two different things. And so, we struggle with that question. So some people try to try to do more good than they do bad. That's kind of their solution. I'm going to do more good with my life than I do bad. Other Others are like, I'm going to go to church. I, if I just go to church and I go to church a lot, if I go to church a lot, that's going to make me uh, a Christian, okay? But, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, just because you walk into McDonald's doesn't mean you're a hamburger, you know? And so just because you're in church doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're a Christian. Thanks for the courtesy laugh there. I appreciate that. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Or, you know, some people say, well, if I memorize these certain things, if I do these rituals, maybe some of you grew up saying, you know, in your childhood, if I just do these rituals, then that will make me a Christian. But becoming a Christian actually is really simple. Now, it's not easy, but it's really simple. And in a nutshell, really, it's just this. If you will believe that he is the son of God, you can become a child of God. If you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, all of a sudden, you become a child of God. And here's what I love about that. What I love about that is it actually has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. There's actually nothing I can, the only thing that I do is say yes to what he already did. All I need to do is just say, yep, I believe that. I believe that he was the son of God. I believe that he was God. I believe in his birth, life, death, resurrection. I believe that he was who he said he was. So when I do that, I become a child of God. But now we got to go back to the story, the story of the baptism of Jesus. Because I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but when you read about the baptism of Jesus, you maybe can have the thought, why did Jesus need to be baptized? And let me back up on that thought to help you understand why we need to be baptized. John the Baptist is actually preaching during this time, and he's telling people, you need to repent and be baptized. Now, some of you go that repent, what, that's kind of a churchy word. What does that exactly mean? Here's what it means. It means you, turn, you need to turn from your sin and turn towards God, okay? So turn from sin, turn towards God. He's saying you need to turn from sin, turn towards God, and the evidence that you're willing to do that is by being baptized in water. So if that's the case, if baptism is a sign of I'm turning away from my old life, from sin, and now I'm turning towards God, my new life, you go, well, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Because he didn't sin, right? He didn't, he didn't have any sin. So, you know, can you imagine, like, you're standing there on that day when John the Baptist is, is baptizing people and people are repenting of their sin. They're saying, I was like this, now I'm like this, and I want to return my life towards God. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and John understands who Jesus is. And, and John's like, wait a second, I, bapt, I'm not going to baptize. You don't have any sin. In fact, why would you turn towards God? You are God. Hello? So 
I'm trying, I want to baptize you, but you're, you, you are God and you don't know sin. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he choose to be baptized in water and not only choose to be baptized in water, why would he choose this moment as the coronation for his public ministry? And in, in other words, up to this point, Jesus was just a guy. He existed for 30 years on the planet. And, you know, there were some supernatural things like, you know, virgin birth and some stuff like that. But, but like, uh, up until this moment, really, he's just a guy. Now, he's going, he's saying, hey, this is like the beginning, the coronation of my public ministry. I'm going to begin that by being baptized in water. Why would he do that? Well, let's, let's really, here's what I want to help you understand. What I want to help you understand is that by Jesus being baptized, he was identifying with our sin and our need for forgiveness. Now, let me be clear. He didn't have any sin. Jesus knew no sin, okay? He knew sin, but he didn't know sin. How many of you know what I mean? He knew what sin was, and he understood the temptation of sin, Yet he never sinned himself. Yet what he did was he actually said, I want to be able, able to identify with the people that I am sent here to reach. I'm going to identify with them. Very first thing that I'm going to do is help them understand that I want to identify with their sin by the humble act of being baptized in water. Now, how many of you have been baptized in water? Raise your hands you've been baptized in water, okay? How many of you know you can't be like a really proud person and get baptized in water? Like, that's, you know, like getting dunked by somebody, you know, especially a pastor that's like, you know, four foot five or whatever. Like, get, getting dunked by somebody and then coming up out of the water, you're soaking wet, you know, all of that. You know, that's, a, that's not really a proud act. That's really a, an act of humility that it takes. So here's what's cool about this whole thing. What's cool about this whole thing is in this time, in a period of history, that there was not, humility was not recognized. It was not at all recognized. Even in today's day and age, we, we actually respect people that are humble. We, we appreciate humility. We don't like people that are proud. We're, we're detracted away from people that we feel like are proud. But in this time, that's the exact opposite. Humility was not revered. It was actually abhorred. It was actually something where they, they only recognized pride and honor. Honor was the, the biggest. And you did everything you could to be at the greatest place of honor, and you wanted everybody to know what kind of leader you were. And the way that you did that is you worked your way up through the ranks with titles and, and all of this stuff. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm the one here to help people, and I'm going to stoop so low, I'm going to actually put myself in a place of humility and be baptized in water. Why? so I can identify with the people that I'm called to reach. Isn't that awesome? It's, it's an identification issue where he's saying, I, I actually want to be identified with these people. So in that moment, John is going, wow, I've been knowing about that Jesus was coming. I've been, you know, we've been hearing about this for a lot of years that he was coming. And, and now, look, it turns out he's just like us. But then God reminds us in the middle of the moment that he's just like us, but he's actually nothing at all like us, okay? Because we know, you know, I read the story, God actually sends the Holy Spirit as a dove down into the moment, then God audibly speaks from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, 
Uh, Y'all have had some awesome baptisms, and I remember baptizing many of you, and it was a powerful moment. You shared your testimony, but I don't ever remember God audibly speaking to us in the room. This is a moment, man, and God is trying to remind us, hey, he's becoming like you, and he, he is like you, but he's actually nothing like you. He's all God and all man all at the same time. Isn't that powerful? To think that Jesus, who's God, the Son of God, would come and become like us to identify with our sin. And right after that, there's another story just to tie all of this into. Remember, we started with the man is in a hole, and the friend jumps in the hole, and and, and the man says, why'd you do this? Now we're both down here, and the, the friend says, I did this because I know the way out of here. So just think about that story all through the context of this. So we've got Jesus who identified with our sin, but then next passage, same chapter, next few verses, Jesus is led into a whole different kind of scene. Let's look at what happens. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Now, let's look at this. I want you to understand this. Why would Jesus go from this incredible moment of baptism where God's audibly speaking and there's a dove that comes down and there's a public coronation, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is, is being, go, launching into his public ministry. He goes from that into the spirit led him into the wilderness. How many of you have ever gone through a great season with God where you've really been growing and you felt the presence of God and you've been experiencing joy only to be followed up with a season of struggle and trial and temptation. Come on, have you ever gone through that? Yeah. So here's why. Listen, and, and some of you go, man, the devil's all over me right now. The devil is, uh, you know, leading me right now. And, I, you know, this is the devil's fault. But you got to understand in this passage that we read that the Spirit actually was leading Jesus into the wilderness. Sometimes you're trying to pray against the devil. You're trying to blame the devil, and God's going, hey, hey, just to let you all know, uh, it's not actually the devil that's allowing this to happen. So God, why would you do that? Why would you lead me into a place of trial and struggle and temptation. And what, what I want to do is I want to stand, you know, and I want to go, you know, devil, you can't have my life. And God's going, you're just having a really great time just rebuking the devil when actually it's me that's allowing this to happen. Why? Because there's nothing that will develop your character greater than struggle, greater than temptation. Your character is not developed when times are good. When times are good, times are good. And you're just living on, you know, a, a Jesus high. You're just excited about Jesus, excited about life. But you're not being developed during those times. There are times in your life where you're walking through the struggle, and that is where the development and the character of Christ is birthed in us. Pretty cool. So the Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness. The wilderness. Let's talk about the wilderness for just a second. The wilderness. How many of you like wilderness adventure type woods, lakes, you, mountains? You, you, you love that. How many of you have ever been in the wilderness in the dark? Okay, in the dark, yeah. So I, I, I pretty frequently, I've, I've gone almost, taken almost 20 trips to this place called the Boundary Waters. And uh, it's, a, it's a place in northern Minnesota between the, the, on the border of Minnesota and Canada. 
And when I go up to the Boundary Waters, there is nothing like nighttime in the Boundary Waters. Because when it gets dark, it's not like being here. It's not like that the, there's, there is no, you can't see your hand in front of your face. There's, there's nothing like that darkness. And when you think of the wilderness, I want you to think not only of a place that Jesus was, I want you to put that into the category of the people understood that the wilderness represented a dark place. It represented a place no one wanted to go to. There were, there were actually myths during this time in Jewish culture that there were people that went into the wilderness that never came out of the wilderness. It's literally like watching one of those movie-type situations, you know? Like, you can go in, but you might never come out, you know, that, that type of thing. That, that's what the wilderness represents. It's, it's like, you know, when you were a kid, maybe a couple of you were like me, and at nighttime when your parents would have you take out the trash, and you felt, come on, how many of you felt a little bit scared when you were a child at night to go to the end of the driveway? A couple of you in the room, yeah. I remember I would go, I would take that trash out, I would go down to the end of the driveway, and then, yes, yeah, sprint, as fast as I could back. Why? Because I don't know what's out there, Dad. It could be bad. Could be bad people out there, monsters, things. You know, I might, I might go out to take the trash and never come back in. You know, that kind of thing. That's literally the description that we have in the Jewish culture of the wilderness. It's this. You can go there, but you might never come back. And Jesus is out there in that place. They've actually believed that that place wasn't only dark, it was demonic. That there were things that happened out there that were not of God, that were demonic. This is where Jesus is. So you want to talk about spiritual whiplash. Jesus is baptized in water. God speaks audibly. The Spirit is there. Now he finds himself led by the Spirit out into this dark place in the wilderness. And the Bible actually very specifically tells us for 40 days. Now I don't have time to go into what that means exactly, but I'll just tell you this. 40 days in the Bible is actually very significant. It's very significant because anytime that you see it in God's word, what you see is there was a time of struggle and of trial and of testing, and at the end of that 40 days, there was a time of deliverance. Hello? So Jesus is out there for 40 days, and this is what happens while he's out there. The Gospel of Matthew actually tells us, goes into a little more detail because Mark is so to the point. Sometimes he skips over details. Matthew tells us what happens. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God... He said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike at your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, and their splendor. All this I will give you. He said, if, everybody say if. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to walk, as you walk throughout this passage, I want you to see something. I want you to see how many times the devil used if. If you are. If this was true. And I want to help you understand that any time 
that you're actually being tempted and tried by the enemy, the greatest signal that that is actually happening, and it is the enemy whispering to you, is that if you are hearing lies about the character of God, if there's an assassination of God's character, for example, if God was really, if God was good, you wouldn't be going through this. Hello? If God loved you, you wouldn't be walking through what you're going through. If God was really real, if, when you hear that if, when you hear that character and that questioning of who God really is, I promise you, nine times out of ten, that is the enemy whispering those lies to you, and it is, it is a, a sure sign that that is not your voice, that is not God's voice, that's the voice of the enemy whispering things. If, if, and, and he starts by talking about Jesus, he starts by telling Jesus, if you're, uh, if you're really the son of God, I want you to turn these stones into bread. So there's actually a temptation here that's pretty, like, logistical. Like, like it's actually pretty real. Jesus is hungry. Why is he hungry? Well, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. Would you be hungry? He's hungry. And so isn't it incredible just to even think? Remember, the guy falls down into a hole, and then the friend, you know, gets down in there with him and says, why are, you, why are you here? You know, now we're both here, but the friend says, no, I know the way out. Isn't it amazing to know that even our physical struggles that we face and the, the issues that we face, even physically, Jesus actually understands that? Isn't that powerful? He says, if, then I want you to become, turn that into bread, those stones into bread. And then he goes through some more temptations, but, you know, the last one that he says is, if, if, you know, you want to become the Lord, bow down to me. In other words, I want you to become a, a shortcut savior. Take a shortcut here and actually be a shortcut savior. And, and Jesus responds to him. I want you to notice this every single time he responds to him. He responds to him by quoting what? Scripture. He quotes the word to him every time. And here's what I want you to understand. It's not like... The scriptures that, that Jesus chose to defeat the enemy during this temptation, it's not like those are magical scriptures. It's not like, oh, I've got to just memorize those three because those are the three that Jesus used. No, no, no. It's not that. All that, all that was happening was the enemy was coming to him with the temptation, and then Jesus was combating that temptation by going, this is, a, this is already solved in the word of God. All I have to do is apply the principle in God's word to the situation that I am being tempted in right now. Now, there are a lot of times that we, what we do is we struggle and we wrestle through, uh, you know, a temptation that we're facing with our life, and we're praying, and we're saying, God, I need you to change this circumstance. God, help me to overcome this temptation. Help me, God, to get through this. And there are times that I come here on Fridays when we're at noon prayer here on Fridays, and we, at noon, we pray over all the prayer requests of the church, and I'll, I'll pick up a card, and I'll be praying through that, that card, and, and all of a sudden, it dawns on me, wait, there's actually a verse in the Bible that actually is the solution for what's happening in this person's life. In other words, sometimes, you don't even have to pray about it. All you gotta do is look it up in the Bible and use the word of God to combat the temptations of the enemy. That's so good, Pastor. That is so good. All we have to do is say, hey, 
The temptation that I'm facing right now, what does the Bible say about that temptation? What does the word of God say about this struggle, about this trial? And if we'll go to God's word first, I promise you half of the solutions that you need for the stuff that you're facing in your life will already be taken care of in the Bible. Now, some of you go, well, I don't know much of the Bible. I have two, two uh, solutions for that. Number one is if you don't know much about the Bible, learn more about the Bible. How do I do that? You start reading the Bible. Hello? If you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll read and you'll get hungry for the word of God, and if you don't know where to start, ask your small group pastor. They're going to help you. And if you're not in a small group, really good reason to get into a small group. And, and so if you'll just learn to read God's word, I promise you your life will begin to change. The second solution that I have, it's a modern-day solution that they didn't actually have in biblical times but I just believe with all of my heart that God can use Google. What do you mean? Well, as a pastor even, there are many times I go, I don't know where the verse is that deals with the, what I'm, whatever I'm facing. So what do I do? I go to my computer and I go, scriptures about blank, fill in the blank. And guess what? Passage after passage after passage after passage come up. Hello? God can use Google, Amen. Yeah, God can use Google. It's not just for directions. It's, for, it's not just for your directions. It's for your life directions. Ooh, that was really good. Let's move on. So Jesus defeats him with these verses, with these passages of Scripture where he literally combats those. But here's, back to the main theme, the thesis of what I, I'm trying to, to convey today, and that is simply this. Jesus understands what it's like to be to identify with our sin, and he understands what it's like to walk through the temptations and the struggles and the trials of our life. Remember how I started? The distant view of God that we so often have, where we go, God, where are you, and are you really here? Do you really understand what I'm facing? Do you really understand what I'm going through? That distant view of God is one that we can, can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we serve a God, we serve Jesus who actually understands the struggle. He actually understands the trials and the temptations. In fact, if you're writing anything down, I want you to write this down this morning. Jesus identifies with our sin so we could be forgiven. And he identifies with our struggles so we can survive them. Jesus, the Son of God, all God, comes and he's all man, and he does that so he can identify with what you and I are facing in our life, with what we are going through. We don't serve a God that's far off in the distance that doesn't understand the, the struggles of today and doesn't understand what it's like on a Wednesday or on a Friday or on a Saturday, what it's like to live on this planet. We serve a God who actually says, I went through what you went through. I fought what you fought. I can identify with everything you're going through. And guess what? Not only do I identify with it, I'm the friend that can get you out of the hole. I'm the friend that can walk with you. And as the band comes, I want to help you this morning. One of the most, my favorite verses in the, in the Bible, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I want to read that to you this morning. Just to help you understand 
how close Jesus is, how close he is in our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let me read that one more time. I want you to close your eyes this time. And this time I want you to picture whatever it is that you're facing right now, whether it be sin, whether it be a temptation, or whether it be a struggle, a trial, a situation that you are walking in right now. And you may feel like God is nowhere to be found, like he's distant, like he is God, he's the son of God, but does he really understand what I'm facing, what I'm going through? Listen to what Hebrews tells us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.